you guys. What's Gucci? <laughs> I've never said that before. I feel like <laughs> it's maybe not on brand for me. I'm more of a Manolo and vintage gal, but I'm here for it. Listen, it's Andy's Girls. I'm so excited for today's episode. I was able to chat with Perry Samotin, who's Glamour's digital director and host of the podcast, What I Wore When. And we talked an awful lot about her unbelievable cover story with Ariana Maddox that had the Bravo community and the World Wide Web a chatting. So um, before I shift to that, I just have to say a couple things. Number one, I, I had the golden ticket or rather bracelet because I was so excited and so happy to attend the Las Culturistas Cultural Awards this weekend here in New York City. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, first off, you need to run to after obviously finishing this episode and maybe listening to it a couple times. Gotta bump up those downloads. <laughs> run yourself over to Las Culturistas. It happens to be one of my absolute all-time fave pods. It's all about talking about the connection that we feel with culture in all forms. And it's hosted by Matt Rogers, a friend of AG who's been on the pod many times, and his best friend Bowen Yang, who you might recognize from Saturday Night Live, among many other credits. They're both incredible. And I, it was the second time they've done this live show, which is a riff and a take on the idea, on like the idea of awards. I'm just, I'm thinking about it and I'm laughing. The idea of awards shows being kind of insane. So they have a list of categories. I think there were over a hundred. I actually don't even remember that they announced prior to this award ceremony. And this had sort of been a joke that they would have these awards that they would talk about for years. Last year was the first time that they actually held an IRL award show um, at Lincoln Center, which is kind of a big deal, outside. And so they had another award show this weekend. And it was just incredible. I was extremely fortunate because I know of friends who unfortunately weren't able to make it in because there were so many people who wanted to attend. I think capacity was between 2,600 people and 3,000. So very similar to Andy's Girls Live. Very similar number of attendees, the vibe, people wearing merch. I just, I felt myself. I felt the energy of Andy's Girls in the room. But anyway, it's like this riff on award shows, but it's very, 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 very funny. And I was so fortunate not only to get in, but to be front row. Shout out Matt Rogers. Thank you so much. And it was, I truly, I turned to Tom Smith, who you guys might also know as Milk and Don't Call Me Honey on Instagram. I have a bunch of his pieces. He does these incredible works of literal art drawing moments actually in pop culture, including a lot of Housewives content. I'm looking at a drawing of his right now in the closet. It's a drawing of 
Kim Kardashian. It says, not bad for a girl with no talent. And I've got Lisa ran a Coke line in my bathroom because where else could that go? Um, and anyway, so Tom's a great friend. And so I was literally front row for what felt like history. I truly turned to Tom at one point and I said, I think this might be the best night of my life. And I took so much video because I felt like I had a responsibility to what is known in the Las Culturistas world, to the Katie's, to the publicists, to the finalists, to the readers, to capture as much as I possibly could, which you can see in a highlight, which I've saved on my Instagram pro profile at Dame Galley. But it was just so funny. And the thing is that so many people are now aware of this event that they are able to get acceptance speeches for these awards from the celebs like Kate Blanchett <laughs> sent in a video of her with confetti falling down on her <laughs> when she won it was like the Kate Blanchett award she was one of a few nominees Ariana Grande sent in a full performance piece from Mommy Dearest when she won an award and we had some Bravo folks featured as well. Um, first off, Andy Cohen won Best Gay Guy Famous, <laughs> which was incredible. He gave his acceptance speech, which, which was recorded at Watch What Happens Live, which was great. Ariana Maddox won the Ariana Maddox Award for Girl, You Can Do Better, hun. <laughs> Sheree was also nominated. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's very cheeky and very funny. So check out those videos because I was literally screaming the entire night. It was absolutely incredible. And it was one of those nights where you're just in a space with upwards of 3,000 plus who knows how many people who unfortunately weren't able to get seats because it was just, there were so many of us. There were so many of us who wanted to attend um but just the energy was electric it was incredible and there were a bunch of snl people who were um presenting the awards and it was just one of those absolutely unbelievable nights so i need to shout out i mean bowen and matt because making dreams come true i mean rule of culture get your ass to the las culturistas culture awards if you can so i had so much fun with that, but also had a bunch of fun catching up on Atlanta because I just watched the new episode and I was like, it started. And honestly, a couple of minutes in, I thought to myself, oh my God, this is, dare I say, meaningful. It felt like Atlanta as I love to see her, which was connected, connective, not to say the ensemble is doing okay amongst each other, but it felt like there was energy, there was heat, there was humor. I'm really, you know, Drew is a lot. I really, truly do not vibe with her at all. I think she is extra in a way that makes me slightly annoyed because in group settings when she's trying to amp stuff up I do feel a little bit like she is at a kid's table of one and like there are adults in the room here let them do their work but also there's a role for everybody so the Drew moment popped out a little bit to me at the Gucci lunch brunch but um 
it just felt like one of those kinds of episodes where I was like, okay, we just need to keep this energy going because it was the first episode of the season. Episode seven, totally no problem. First episode uh, episode of the season where I was like, ooh, I, I'm really into this energy and I have a lot to talk about related to Atlanta. So I'm excited to get into that on the next AG. But in the meantime, I just needed to shout out the episode because I thought it was really um, spirited in a way that I was like, yes, I need this. I want this. And raised a couple questions for me, like the Sonya of it all, the Sonya element, Sonya trying to stay in the middle of Marlo v. Candy and be friends with them both, which Candy obviously believes is not realistic is interesting to me because I think that Sonia has a natural inclination to try to speak on behalf of Marlo, which obviously, as we saw at the end of the episode, didn't go over well with Candy. I think Candy at one point, was it Candy or um, Kenya? No, it was Candy at one point said like, don't, don't be Marlo's lawyer. Like, we don't need you doing that. Um, so I assume that there's going to be some rough points with Sonia and Candy's relationship, but I appreciated the idea of this brunch even happening. I thought it was incredibly important for it too. And there were moments that really stood out. Like I honestly was impressed by Marlo leaving the room because as she said, her life coach was like, if you feel like you're getting really agitated, remove yourself from the situation. She was de-escalating by just walking out, which I thought was a really good sign, a positive sign of growth. Like regardless of how you feel about the originating argument of whether or not Candy did enough to support her after her nephew died, which ultimately is the conversation Marlo is attempting to have, the way that Kenya was escalating the situation, I mean, doing a fake Heimlich because she was choking on bullshit. I mean, ma'am, she was looking to escalate to get a reaction out of Marlo, a reaction that she could then say is an example of Marlo doing too much. And I appreciated that at least in that moment, Marlo was like, got it. I see what you're doing. Or maybe I don't. I just know I'm getting too hot and I need to leave. And while I err on the side of understanding Candy's perspective, I think the fact that Marlo told Candy what happened, I need confirmation that the texts that um, we've seen on the episodes are complete because there was another um, text message screenshot I had seen floating around social that included more of a reaction from Candy. But regardless of that moment, the fact that Marla was reaching out days later for help or just giving like a referral code or something for Cameo, I don't know if that was her feeling hurt and still, you know, wanting to move forward and having business opportunities or an acknowledgement that maybe she wasn't upset directly toward Candy or not feeling like Candy was supportive enough. Marlo keeps interjecting uh, her sister being upset about Candy's silence, the fact that Candy didn't call Marlo's sister. And while I understand that um, Marlo's nephew worked at one of Candy's restaurants for however period of time, prior to his death, I don't know what relationship Candy 
had with her sister. I guess Marla was just saying because you at one point employed him, you should have called um, my sister to um, express your condolences. I don't really have an answer for that. And I think from Candy's perspective, she's obviously very upset, not only at that you know, quasi accusation, I guess, but also at the idea that this is constantly being connected with the quote unquote incident that happened at one of her restaurants. And I think that's probably an incredibly sensitive topic and one that she is seemingly is horrified um, to see Marlo constantly referencing and not just horrified, but mad. Um, so I don't know what, if any, um, uh, not togetherness, but like what if any repairing can even take place? Because it just seems like these women are at total opposite ends of the spectrum right now. Candy is obviously uh, seemingly more vocally supported by the people who are rallying both, you know, with her supporting her, but also against Marlo as Kenya is. Um, I don't know what that means for what will happen with Marlo and Candy in the future, if anything. I would like to see there be some kind of resolution, but it just feels like in Candy's mind, she uh, she feels like maybe Marlo is cutting way too low. And I would think in Marlo's mind, she's thinking these people are constantly trying to shame me from my past and it's just ridiculous and she can't get any words out at this point because all of her moves are seen as suspect, which I'm saying, you know, with some questions oftentimes about Marlo's intent. Um, I wonder if this conversation would be taking place if the show wasn't happening. Like, how would this conversation go if there weren't cameras there? But the reality is with the vast majority of housewives, um, you know, with with uh, sort of escalating conversations on housewives and with conflict, that it might not happen without a camera crew because maybe these people wouldn't be friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, at a certain point, yes, you could be self-producing for plot, but also maybe it's just the fact that you guys are being forced together by both being on this show. And so something is going to come up. Or maybe this is a real thing that is affecting Marlo in terms of Candy's silence in Marlo's um in Marlo's opinion. So I guess more to come on this. I I don't know exactly where this will go. I feel like oftentimes with franchises at this point, seven episodes in, I have an idea of where the season's going to go. And I'm actually, based off of the new episode, excited to say I actually, I really don't. I don't know what's happening in the future. I haven't been tracking. I don't look at sneak previews because Bravo <laughs> releases such long versions of it that it's like, why am I going to watch the first seven minutes of an episode? Because then when I watch the episode, I'm going to think to myself as a gut instinct, is this a repeat? Because I feel like I've already seen these five scenes. Um, so I really don't necessarily have an idea of where this is going, but I'm appreciative for it. And, you know, some of the stuff with Kenya, for example, this whole conversation about her embryos and her thinking that having a child with a second biological father is less ideal than using one of her embryos 
which obviously was created by her and Mark, someone who she's in a seemingly exceedingly contentious divorce where he is dragging this on in her words, things she said on Watch What Happens and referred to, that he's, it's it's like a, it's not quite Bethany Jason, but that's also because, you know, eight years haven't gone by. Um, but it seems to be an incredibly toxic separation where he's filing these things just to kind of like extend this from happening. And it was just so interesting to me, I guess. I honestly thought it was a little bit odd that her reaction was to say that a, a new, you know, um, that to say potentially a sperm donor or whoever, whoever this person is was less ideal than the parent of her child, Brooklyn, who she is engaged in incredibly negative, litigious sort of warfare. I just found that fascinating. I mean, I I couldn't imagine it. And also, if there has been fights and questions around custody, introducing potentially another member of the family, which you could get everything on paper. I'm not going to ask you for anything. You also don't have rights to anything, to any time potentially. Who knows what that arrangement will be? But just because you get all of that on paper, it's sort of like a prenup. You can get whatever the hell you want on paper, but it doesn't mean the other person isn't going to fight as long as they possibly can to try to either, you know, like a, a form of like, um, a form of sort of not revenge, but a way to, um, I mean, in the words of, I guess the conversation about Marlo uh, sort of escalate a situation. And it's just so interesting to me. I mean, there's, what's that whole phrase? Like you can guess a person's future by how they're behaving in the present or whatever. I just sort of pulled that out of my ass. I think that's like three different things at once. It's a variety pack. Um, But it's just so interesting that Kenya would think, yeah, this person who I do not trust has said an awful lot about mostly negative and I'm still engaged in whatever divorce Michigas is going on and possibly custody if that is still um a topic that's being fought over the fact that she would think well you know maybe I use these embryos and she has the right to use them if she'd like maybe for her and her decision if she does decide to move forward and try to have another child maybe using these embryos I mean I don't know the science of it like (laughs) How do these things work? Um, but maybe using those embryos might be a good idea. Maybe that's something that her doctor, in consultation with her doctors and whatever route she chooses to go down, if this is something she ends up moving toward, that might be a suggestion that they might have. I mean, I really don't know. I couldn't tell you, but I would assume this would be a topic that will come up in the future because I really cannot say enough. I've said it about 15 times how surprised I was. Um I was not surprised by, however, by the fact that my love for Shibai Sheree has grown even stronger. I know on the last Andy's Girls, I got into the fact that I really appreciate and value her role on the show. And this week, I mean, she was getting emotional. She was funny. She was talking about how while Candy and Marlo are like more apart than ever, she was able to repair other relationships and said something along the lines of like, 
four and a seven. That ain't bad. Like it was just, I was laughing my ass off. I had a little cackle. I also thought she was essentially the best dress of that brunch. I thought she looked chic AF regardless of what Marlo is saying in her confessional. Um, and I just really appreciate her energy because I think she genuinely is trying. She really is trying to bring people together. And even if she's not successful and who knows what will happen with the little teaser we saw um, at the the trailer essentially for next week, obviously she and Candy are going to get into it a little bit and who knows how far that will go. But um, I just think she's really necessary to the show right now. And in the ways that we talk about, and, you know, trigger warning, I'm about to mention Kyle. Um, but the ways that I talk about Kyle being a strong beta, I sort of get that energy with Sheree where I'm like, there is a necessary role and need for her here, not necessarily to instigate conflict, which I really don't want to see her do. It's her reactions and her presence in the room, I think, is grounding. And also, oftentimes, she reacts to things in the ways that I might have had I been there and that I, as an audience member, just really appreciate. So God bless her. She makes the worst decisions in relationships. And I do not understand what intern or whatever is responsible for the launch of She by Sheree, which is, I would think, still ongoing. But um, I was thankful that she played as much of a part in this episode as she did, as big a role. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why I really liked it, because I felt like, you know, more Sheree isn't a bad thing, at least not right now, because <laughs> there's always sort of an expiration on any positive feeling about um, anyone on any franchise. But I really appreciated it. And um, we'll see what happens. I don't know what is necessarily going to trigger the upset in the conversation with Candy, I guess, about Sheree saying that Candy didn't give her support and then Candy being like, okay, babe, but like, you know, your clothing was like giving forever 21. I mean, I know that she said Sheen, but like potato, potato, um, Amazon Primo. So um, so we'll see. It was a to be continued, but I just needed to shout out Atlanta because I really thought that they delivered this week and it was an enjoyable episode and one that is going to leave me thinking. I have um, some more thoughts that I'll get into on the next app. But speaking of episodes, I need to introduce, as I mentioned at the top of this episode, the guest you are going to hear from now, Perry Samotin is Glamour's digital director, host of the podcast What I Wore When, and the author of Glamour's cover story, which featured Ariana Maddox. We had a wide-ranging, really interesting conversation. There was some breaking news um, right before we recorded about some tweets that Raquel's mom had posted about how we should all appreciate Raquel's role in the affair because the show is doing great like her saying I mean I got into the details in this conversation but like essentially her saying Ariana should be grateful anyway we got into that (laughs) during the conversation 
with Perry and, you know, I started off by asking um, a couple questions about her hope for the cover piece and also the fact that this was a big deal for Glamour to have a reality store, reality star rather, on the cover, um, which was a huge surprise to many of us in finding out. And um, I mean, it went viral in the Bravo community and beyond. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. And again, my first question for Perry was, what was the Glamour team's hope for how this piece would be received and her reaction to seeing the reaction of all of us online? So let's hear Perry's thoughts on that and so much more. Hope you enjoy. We knew that the re- the reception was going to be pretty vast because anytime you surprise your readership, like for example, you know, Glamour typically puts a movie star on the cover, a cover who's promoting, you know, a blockbuster. And we really have never featured a reality star on the cover who isn't promoting something. Maybe many, many years ago, we might've had like a Kardashian on who was promoting a new season, but like nothing like this. This was incredible. The turnaround was really fast. We sort of flew out to LA, interviewed her, turned the story around in like a day or two. And then that was, that was it. What was the conversation between you potentially and the team about making that jump and, and having a pivot or maybe not even thinking of it as a pivot, but a woman who's really a part of the conversation and um, garnering an incredible amount of attention. How was that conversation even internally of like, is this an option for us, for our audience based on the history of prior cover pieces? So basically the conversation at first, you know, I had pitched the idea to my boss and she was like, oh, I think it's a great idea. But I, we didn't know if Ariana would go for it and her team, because I know initially they were being a little bit protective of press. I know she was doing so many sponsorships, but in terms of traditional press, she was being a little bit selective, which good she should be mm-hmm. because in a, like save, save your story, save, save your exposure. Um, so I think think we had floated a while ago doing after right after the scandal broke doing a little feature with her and I don't think they went for that and then we were kind of like listen we want to blow this out maybe make it a cover but definitely give a shoot and I think they thoughtfully considered it and said you know what let's do it so we were so happy I had heard potentially rumors that there were other other sites like ours that were going to try to go after her so we really wanted to have it and we really wanted it to be exclusive so We were just so thrilled when they said yes. Um, The team at Glamour was excited. Again, it was something different for us. It was something like movie stars are great, but like, you know, it's like, like to be in the conversation felt like it was an extremely exciting thing. So that's, that's where we were. 100%. And I'd have to say, you know, speaking of movie stars, Ariana isn't a movie star uh, per se. I I mean, obviously, but you know, when you have Jennifer Lopez, as you reference in your piece, talking about Vanderpump Rules, albeit after being asked the question on The View, but still understanding what's happening and knowing it kind of tells you when the people in Hollywood are talking about this, um, that definitely, I think means something. Uh, it shows the the value, I think, of interest that everyone seemingly is talking about VPR. 
Yes, exactly. Exactly. In your um, conversation with Ariana, both before I assume part three had um, aired and after, did you get a sense from her of being able to at a certain point kind of like make a little bit of a shift or a turn where she didn't feel like she was as much in a place of triage. This happened three months ago. But when you think about a nine year relationship, three months is sort of like a minute. Right. In your conversations with her, how did you feel about an awareness she has of not necessarily needing to live in this space forever? I got the sense that she definitely still was hurt, obviously, you know, like you said, nine years, but she didn't, I mean, yeah, I got the sense that she did seem optimistic about the future and that she just like felt maybe a little bit freer. We talked about in the piece, I asked her, I said, you can love someone and be very happy in a relationship and be devastated when it ends. But there, no matter what, there, there's always that little bit of weight lifted from you when a relationship ends. Because when you're in a serious relationship, you do, you know, you're like collaborating in life with someone. And she said, like, not running by things, him by things, him running things by him and just operating freely and not, you know, looking out for no one but yourself. She's like, if I want to do something, I don't have to coordinate. Like, I don't have to say I'm going to be home late, like just living for yourself. And that has to be a little freeing. And I got the sense she kind of said, yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're worrying about yourself. And so I think that was something that she felt and something that I understood. I mean, that that's happened to all of us at one time or another. And that doesn't mean that it's not a terrible thing, but there's just something freeing about, okay, I live alone. Well, she doesn't, but you know what I mean? I'm a party of one. So I think, yeah. That was we, something. <laughs> we can't wait for her to live alone. We are yeah, all exactly. working toward, I think, that next chapter for her, yes. um, which I, which actually brings up something that I thought was a really important part of your conversation with her and obviously the cover piece, talking a little bit about the sponsorship opportunities that have become available. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you have experienced this on social, but I have, which is a part of the audience criticizing either her taking sponsorship opportunities um, right off of Scandaval, obviously referencing Scandaval with some people just criticizing them on its face, you shouldn't be making money X, Y, Z. And then other people saying, listen, I care about Ariana and I'm concerned that if she's only, for example, posting like a lot of social media stuff about sponsorship, I'm concerned that her rep will go from, you know, being the cast member to sort of being someone um, just kind of like selling ads, yeah. which I hadn't thought about, to be honest. And I can't say that I agree with it, but I can understand it, which is why I really recommend that people read your article because you have a conversation with her about that. And I think it's probably helpful for people to understand her perspective and the way that you were able to tie it all together to the true idea of independence, which in many ways is financial. I, I want you to share a little bit about um how that conversation went with Ariana when you were referencing sponsorship opportunities. Yeah. So, I mean, I couldn't, I, I couldn't help but ask her because they were coming fast and furiously after, I mean, since 
pretty much since this news broke, she had just been like accepting and accepting and promoting. And I asked her about it because there had been a couple articles that I read on other sites, some potentially sort of similar to Glamorous, some not talking about how she's getting really rich from this and rounding up her sponsorships and some of the tone, some, some were completely objective and some of the tones of some of the articles were like a little snide um, from sites that think, you know, they're like, I don't know, like above it maybe. And I'm like, right. you're, not, you're, cover, you're covering this. So right. you're not, <laughs> like, so I asked her about that and she, I mean, she was completely candid with every question, which was lovely, but she was like, I don't understand like what the thing is. She's like, I want to work. She's like, I'm a worker. I've always worked. She's like, I want to take care, be able to take care of my family, whether they need money or not, take care of myself. She said, I've gone through periods where I didn't have anything and I've lived out of my car. And she was like, why, why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I do this brand? And I said, does it bother you that brands are basically using you in the show to align with, to promote their own thing? And she was like, not at all. Like, she was extremely savvy and smart. And I'm on, I am, I don't even have a critical point of view there. I think it's fantastic. She is taking the money. I also think she didn't say this, but I think she probably knows the moment is short for these types of things. Not for her to be in the public eye and on totally. television. Her brands in six months or maybe even three months, the moment's going to pass. The scandal will deflate a little bit and brands still might want to advertise on Bravo because now everyone's going to be curious about the next season. But like, are they going to want to use her as their spokesperson? And plus a lot of these sponsorships, she's like sort of cracking low key jokes about her relationship. So in a few months, that's going to be, we all know how fast the news cycle is, right? So that's going to be over and done with. And again, she didn't say that to me verbatim, but like, obviously she knows like, and that's so smart. Take the money, take the corporate money. In a few months, no one's going to remember anyway. Like, it's just, I think it's great. I think it's great marketing from her end. And I think it's great from the brands like Duracell and Bic and these cocktail mixer companies. Like, why not? It's funny. I really need for her to get some sort of collab with Hanes or Fruit of the Loom. We all lost our minds about that. Like, you can fuck me in this t-shirt shirt that she launched immediately after part three possibly during it that idea i just like t-shirts you can fucking <laughs> i mean when i saw that i was like motherfucker in the words of sandoval unfortunately motherfucker that is so genius and a way for her to take back ownership not only of herself but to be like go fuck yourself. You think you're going to get the last word by making a snide, shitty remark in the middle of this? You're not. And I'm going to make some money on this. Like, you're not going to win at this. And I am going to make sure that I am still focused on the next chapter of my life, which will not include her ex, except for the fact that they will continue being on Vanderbilt Rules together, surely. But when it comes to her life, especially as a woman, I thought that was an incredible turn. I think that's why she's so admirable. Like this whole thing has to be super painful. It's real. I mean, I asked her too, like, what do you say to people that say this is all fake? That's a huge, huge, huge theory that's circulating all over the place. Like skeptics, like, oh, Bravo was struggling and they needed this and the show was struggling and they needed the ad money and they're there was all this stuff I was reading on Reddit where people were like, Bravo is clearly struggling because everybody's watching streaming and 
mm-hmm. not just Vanderpump, but Bravo. They're like trying to rejigger housewives and they're not getting the ad money. And this made people watch. I asked her about that. And she was like, well, she's like, I understand where people would say that because, but she was like, this is like, why would I blow out my life basically for TV? Like, why would someone like Raquel or Rachel do that? Like, so, I mean, she was very, she didn't even get offended. She was like, look, if people say that to me, I block them on Instagram. I don't, I don't want to engage with that discourse. She was like, but I'm telling you, this is real. And like, she wasn't offensive. She was like, it's real. Like what? So, I mean, I think, I think that the theories and I, I mean, I, yeah, she's going to ride this wave as long as she can and then move on. Yeah. And I feel like some of these critiques, um, I understand that there has been, I think overwhelmingly people really do feel that Ariana has become the people's princess. There are, of course, those who have said, you know, she's not an angel, whatever else. And I think that's sort of the point here. I mean, that's the point, Yolanda. Like, that's why so many of us find ourselves invested, because of all of the people for this to happen to, Ariana has made a concerted concerted effort and been extremely consistent about sharing her life and her struggles and challenges with the audience and with obviously her cast aka IRL you know friend circle Mm -hmm. she's really been incredibly open and honest and has sort of had trust in the system in that way you know she's not one of those people to create a storyline necessarily which is why when people talk about well you're just creating a storyline here I think number one have we ever seen that from Ariana including in behavior that a person could critique because we're all human we're all people we're all broken birds at the end of the day like we all have our you know pieces of shattered glass, right? You know, like we all have these things. No one is perfect. The point of Ariana's time on VPR is to say that, to be honest about internal struggles that then become external through the show. And I just think like some of these arguments to me sound eerily similar to what Sandoval was trying to say, Mm -hmm. which at the end of the day sort of, I think, dismisses from the harm of what he did. Right. Yes. I, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that there's a lot of things that he has been doing that just like, like sort of, you know, weaponizing her, her vocal struggles with mental health over the years. I mean, we all know if we've been watching this show since the beginning, we know that Ariana has been vocal now. I mean, now, you know, it's very, it's, it's, it's accepted to talk about mental health. It's encouraged. It's like, for the past few years, it's like, but when she started doing that, I remember somebody, somebody said to me recently when I was reporting this story, a friend I was talking to who also watched the show, they were like, she was doing that at a time where like, it was weird. Like there was one episode, I didn't remember the episode where she said something to maybe Stassi and Kristen about like her mental health. And they were like, what? Like thinking yeah. it was me, or maybe I don't know if it was those two. And he's been weaponizing that. I mean, the stuff about saying she was going to kill herself. And she was like, I never said that. But like, it really is somebody weaponizing struggles of another person. And I mean, like you said, like we're all broken birds at the end of the day, but that doesn't give you permission to 
to try to break me with your own words, you know, like it was, it was very odd. His behavior was extremely odd. And that's another reason I understand like a lot of these personalities on the show initially try to be actors. So I'm not saying they don't have it in them, but watching, watching the season and the reunions and watching Tom, I feel like that's real. He, he seemed unless otherwise it was a masterful performance, but like he really seemed like he was losing it. And like, he seemed like somebody that was fully capable of doing all the mental fuckery that he was doing to Ariana. And that wasn't a performance, in my opinion. I totally agree. And I also think, you know, I just watched Making a Scene, which was the um, the series that Variety does. Um, yeah. And Kate Arthur was just on AG recently and was talking about the experience of having a VPR-focused iteration. And in watching it, I forget if it was one of the EPs or Andy, but someone mentioned that his comment about the t-shirt that they knew in the moment when it landed, it was going to be bad. And then in watching back, they were like, oh, this is very, very bad. But one of the people on the team felt like he only said this from a place of exhaustion because he was tired and upset and people had been fucking with him for a number of hours and whatever else. And I get that. Like, I, I understand it. And they were there. They're a part of the show. Like, I can certainly appreciate it. But doesn't it seem pretty apparent that Sandoval has essentially felt that the entire time and been using very similar kinds of uh, feelings to equalize or diminish some of the harm of what this affair has done to Ariana and also their friends. Like the idea that he wasn't fulfilled I mean, him saying the T-shirt thing was obviously a way to jab at her. Oh, yeah. But, but I don't think it's like unrealistic or inconsistent with his behavior and also okay. his reasoning to Raquel. Not at all. I mean, that that's why it tracked when he said that. I was like, of course, that's like one of the last things he's going to say on this. Like, let's let's. He's she's really dug into like every corner of like her in, of Ariana's insecurities, like mental health weaponizing now you know going to Raquel and being like oh we don't sex you're so, so great to me mm. and then the comment about like the t-shirt weaponizing her insecurities about her body that she spoke about like I don't it wasn't out of character at all and yeah maybe he was exhausted but that like that completely tracked when I saw that I was like I'm not surprised by this yeah, and Andy said prior to the episode airing that Tom would make a comment that would upset every woman in America. And I was like, check <laughs> when I watched it. Yeah. I mean, no. I, I was like, that's, you know, there were a certain amount of bluster some people have said about what he was going to reveal. And I was like, nope, he was exactly spot on. I <laughs> will never get over that moment. I don't know that I've been angrier at a reunion behavior or remark or jab than that one. Not recently. I agree. It was gross. It was just gross, but also just predictable because it really seemed like a last ditch effort to like, just get something like I, I it was just like, I have to say something mean, like it just, it all, it all made sense. It wasn't out of left field. He has behaved, been behaving like a real creep, like all season. And that comment just completely like, check, put the, put the cap on it. Um, going by Raquel's reveal at the end of part three, which was in essence mm -hmm. that everything shared 
at the reunion as a part of owning it was in fact a lie. Um, obviously, that brings with it questions of why were these two people continuing to lie on a reality TV show where you're not in a position where you're going to say these things and then whatever happens on social media happens and then you go into your private lives. It's not like a public figure lying in an interview and then going back to their public life but not being on reality TV. I would assume that on a show like this, when production picks up, which will be soon, the cast, regardless of that last part of the reveal, would be referencing the fact that he was lying which to me was an interesting choice that they made. Do you think that it was too um, sort of like short focused in thinking we just need to kind of get through this survival style? Would there have ever been a point, do you think, where Sandoval really would have said himself, I think we need to tell the truth? Like, what was your thinking even in watching that as a Bravo viewer, let alone journalist? Yeah, I wasn't sure about that. I, I, no, I probably don't think there would have been a world where he would have wanted to tell the truth if there wasn't so much surrounding sort of chaos. Like if it wasn't, you know, I mean, there's a, I, I, I think, you know, what I'm, there is, yes, this is their real lives, but there is also a Bravo PR machine here at work. Like, I mean, the packaging up of the bombshell, like for right. two weeks in advance, because I asked Ariana about it. And I was like, is there really like a big bombshell at the end of season three? And she said, like, I guess she's like, I've been hearing about it. She's like, we don't sit and focus at the reunion on like, okay, now's the bombshell. But she asked, she's, she saw like all the commercials and all the press around the bombshell. So she, she said she asked one of the producers, is this a bombshell? Like, do I know about this? They're like, oh no, you know about it. So basically what she was saying was that no one's going to be that shocked. Like, because, so I guess they all knew about that, that it had been going on a little bit longer. So I don't think that it was anything like, I think Bravo probably forced that hand a little bit, like to, to, to tell people. I don't think if there was no Bravo, if it was just a bunch of people, I don't think Tom would do that and tell his girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend and all their friends. But I think you kind of had to here because it was kind of like, okay, viewers are really invested in this whole situation. Like from a network perspective, we have to share. That's what I think. I mean, again, that's not confirmed. But I think, again, if they were like sort of private citizens, no, I don't think a guy like Tom Sandoval would be like, you know what, let's tell Ariana and let's tell our, our friend circle. But I think it was like, OK, we have to do this for the viewers and for the network and for Andy. So that's the vibe that I got. Ciao, AGs. I am speaking to you right now from Rome, Italy, where I am having a little bit of a European adventure. While I love the city and have had so many unique experiences to historical sites, the Vatican, we went to the Pantheon earlier today, there was a little bit of a hiccup in the apartment that we're staying in. And while I really enjoyed getting to know Fabrizio, the owner of the flat, there was a little bit of a language barrier because I unfortunately do not speak any Italian, even though I have watched The Sopranos all the way through at least three times. And this is where Rosetta Stone comes in. What would have helped me enormously in traveling abroad would have been brushing up, also known as entirely learning, the language of Italian. 
It could have broken down barriers and conversation with Fabrizio. And I also think speaking the language of the place that you're in is a sign of respect to the locals. It's also the ability to fully immerse yourself in the experience. And me not knowing any Italian, apologies to my grandpa Reno, who did make pizza from scratch, it would have been an incredible and even more incredible memorable experience. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, that's right, German, Chinese, and even more. Rosetta Stone immerses you in so many ways. There are no English translations, so you can really learn, listen, and think in that language you want to learn. It's designed for long-term retention, which is especially helpful for me because while this is my first trip to Italy, I really truly hope it won't be my last. The lifetime membership that Rosetta Stone offers has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses that Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, AGs can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Ciao. Hey, AGs. Are you ready to add a touch of luxury to your home, just like the Real Housewives? BCC Villa Rosa. Obvs. Introducing Home Threads where style meets comfort for the ultimate glam experience. Picture this. Chic furniture, one could even say chic c'est la vie, that mirrors the elegance of your favorite housewives' mansions. With exclusive designer collections and a curated selection, HomeThreads.com has everything you need to make your space as fabulous as the housewives themselves and always at the best value. Unlike Joe Gorka's initial attempts at Windows, perhaps. Now, I have to tell you, I know that Padma is no longer on Top Chef, and may her memory be a blessing, but nothing has made me feel better prepared to host future seasons and potentially even iterations of Top Chef Upper East Side Edition than the Henkel's clad 10-piece stainless steel cookware set in silver that I got along with a two-piece stainless steel ceramic non-stick fry set from Zwilling thanks to Home Threads. It makes me feel like I am finally ready to be a top chef one egg over easy at a time. They're gorgeous. They look great in the apartment. For someone like me who lives in New York City which with a very small space, what I have in my kitchen is important because guests who come to visit me see it. And I'm so, so thankful to have discovered Home Threads because now I feel fully prepared to make eggs a la Francais. Head over to HomeThreads.com today and live your best Real Housewives life. Go to HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls and get a code for 15% off your first order. Again, that's HomeThreads.com slash AndyScrolls for a 15% off code off your first order. HomeThreads, love where you live. Yeah, and there is to me a sense of and was a sense of what the fuck that I think members of the Bravo community and viewers felt in watching that because they they really did 
by the hype, buy into the hype, understandably, but also thought this was going to be like a crazy fucking new piece of information. Oh, yeah. And and there was some info that I thought was shocking that was revealed, including that they had had sex, I assume, in Ariana's bedroom, but certainly at Ariana's house um, mm-hmm. while she was out of town at her grandmother's funeral. Makes me wonder why Tom wasn't with her, but I guess that's a conversation for another day. Bizarre. But I, uh, very bizarre, but also consistent with Tom. Um, but it does also, you know, make a person kind of think about those last five minutes or six minutes during that sit down with Raquel, because in hearing someone point blank say, after a certain amount of coaching and cajole, not coaching, but cajoling, yeah, what we were saying was a lie, but we were only trying to to lie because you know Tom believed or we believed that the truth would be more hurtful right Uh, the the language around that I thought was really interesting and specific the idea that almost like Ariana when you think about it is like sort of responsible for these lies taking place. We would have been honest, but we were just trying to be kind to her feelings. Yes, I totally agree. And that goes back to, I feel like the whole entire scenario, like the whole thing was them faux, like faux being protective. Like, well, I didn't, starting even with, I didn't want to dump her because she was going to kill herself. Like, okay, kind of you, I guess, if that's the truth, but like, that's not the truth. Right. And like every little thing was rooted in this, like, well, well, we don't want to hurt her and our friends. And, but like, come on, like, it's so stupid. It's just such a shady, like, if you really felt like you didn't want to be with this person and you just break up with her, she's an adult. Like, that doesn't mean she wouldn't be upset, but like, she's an adult. And then she had mentioned to me, and I ha- she had mentioned this elsewhere, but also to me, that she thought that part of the reason, or he had said part of the reason why, you know, she said they had had conversations about breaking up. And she said, no, I did never threaten to kill myself. But I did say, if we split, I might leave the show. And she said he didn't like that because he felt like there was strength in their brand together. So she kind of gave me a little insight into like his POV on brand, like how, which, which makes sense. And I think that's the case on other Bravo shows too. You know, you have Summer House, you have Kyle and Amanda and not saying that they were looking to break up, but like their relationship wasn't always perfect, but they were, they were a twosome. They were, they had like their brand, they had their business. And I know Tom and Ariana wrote a book together. And so it was kind of like, she was like, he really didn't want me to sort of go dark and leave the show because we had like a brand together. And she was like, who cares? Like, so I think that a lot of the things, yes, I think a lot of it was messed up. Like, oh, I don't want to hurt her. But a lot of it also was rooted in like, well, I'm going to go do what I want. And I don't want to be with her, but I also want to maintain the brand that we have that viewers love and that brands maybe love too. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And also he's referenced using the word brand, both I think on the show, definitely during the Howie Mandel interview. And it's just so interesting when you think of brand, because he's thinking like, I can't, you know, break up with this person ostensibly, because if I do, it's going to hurt my brand. But also I would think the second part of that is like, babe, if you're fucking her best friend behind her back and she doesn't know, what do you think that's going to do to yours? Like, sweetie. 
Right. That's the irony now. Like his brand is like, I mean, I'm sure there's always room for redemption. Like people have been really terrible on reality TV and people forget quickly. I mean, James Kennedy wasn't such an angel and now everyone's like, he's amazing. So like, who knows what people will think about with Tom in a year, in two years, like maybe his brand will get built back. I don't really know, or reemerge or do something. But for now, I think his brand is that it's like a, it's kind of a joke. Like he's become a punching bag of, of the internet and viewers. So right now it's just pretty ironic. And I think that's, that's what people and Ariana, but like, that's what people were saying. Like the irony is so funny that he was referencing, referencing brand and, and now by cheating and getting discovered and the way he did it was so icky. And now it's like your brand is kind of nothing. Your brand is creep. Apparently Raquel's birth mother, Susan, just took to Twitter to criticize Ariana. And I guess the response to the scandal saying, along with other things, Ariana adding more and more endorsements to her resume Ka-ching, she tweeted, along with um, Ariana's new Duracell commercial, which I thought was iconic. She says, Main Street endorsements at the expense of Raquel. She also said, um, in response actually to your cover piece uh, with Ariana, she said, uh, seemingly sarcastically, moving on up and Raquel saved the show, ratings skyrocketed. Wow. Wow. I mean, first of all, like, wow, like sick burn. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. like I'm sure Ariana's quaking. Uh, that sounds like an unhinged tweet a little bit. Oh, and, and you know what? Sorry, just to cut in. So the first tweet was Ariana adding more and more endorsements to her resume. Ka-ching was from one person. And then Susan Raquel's oh. mother responded and said Main Street endorsements at the expense of Raquel. So Susan I, didn't Ka-ching. She I just see, agreed with the Ka-ching. And then she did absolutely directly reference your glamour piece. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. But to, it's just coming in, guys. It's just coming in. I don't. I don't understand the bit about saving the show, like, because she created a scandal. Like, I mean, look, who who knows? Who knows how people were raised? Who knows, like, the motives that people have for fame? Like, I, I, I don't, I don't know that I would say she saved the show. I don't, I wouldn't agree with that. Especially because, I don't know, I'm curious. I mean, I have no insight into next season. I know Ariana's back and Tom's back. I don't know anything about Raquel, if she'll be back or not. So I guess maybe she will, but I'm sure that will remain to be seen. Because if she's not back, I wouldn't go so far as to say she saved the show. They're doing it without her. So, and if she is back, she's probably not going to be redeemed in any way. So I don't know. That's an odd, that's odd. That's odd. I didn't expect her birth mom to enter the chat. Yeah. And it's also unnerving be for a couple reasons. Number one, I think there's a, a level of conversation that might be had at a certain point about Raquel's childhood and Agreed. the decisions made in raising her um, with the knowledge seemingly the entire time that her birth mother decided not to be her parent. Mm -hmm. While... Of course, decisions are made and potentially this one was made that enables Raquel to hopefully be raised by, um, you know, two people who adopted her and 
hopefully treated her as their own. Yep. For Susan, which hopefully is her. I mean, we're just catching up with these tweets, guys. For her birth mother to essentially say, to essentially say Ariana should be grateful mm-hmm. for what Raquel has done is not necessarily the lesson I would hope that her family would be feeling about the response to this to go after Ariana, let's say, and not Tom, says something to me that doesn't feel optimistic. And in that variety, that 20-minute video, Sheena's a part of it. And she talks about the fact that apparently at Rachella, at James and Raquel's um, engagement, her Raquel's father mentioned to I think like Charlie's then boyfriend or maybe continued boyfriend that nobody was planning for the the family didn't think that Raquel was actually going to marry James that they were just allowing them to play house and then the second this didn't work in her favor they would end this and the idea of that being a family effort Sheena mentioned like could you be more of a stage dad than that It does not make me feel positive about the support um, or even consistency that Raquel has around her, which potentially makes some of her behaviors and responses understandable, just even in terms of who she has in her inner circle. She says she has no one but family, but this is the family that she has. Yeah, the whole thing is really weird. Um, And it kind of makes you wonder, you know, like if it's really a bad situation there with like, you know, the way she was raised and pageants and her like sort of so-called vacancy and just like going through the motions of things. So there's that, which is like, okay, there's something psychologically maybe off here, but then there's also, I guess, you know, a skeptic could swoop in and be like, well, you know, I'm reading the Reddit threads. Like, this is all fake. Like her dad's a stage dad. Like he's like, go for this, like be the bad, be the villain. Like you're going to get redeemed in the long run. You're going to become famous. And so who knows? I mean, that's just me speculating, but like either, so either it's like, maybe it is not fake, but maybe her, maybe she's being encouraged to like take a more prominent role in the show and like do something bad for attention. Or maybe her family life is just really, you know, bad and uncomfortable either way. It it's sad. I mean, I don't necessarily feel sorry for her, but I feel sorry for the situation. I mean, it's a bad situation. You have three people that were on a by and large a fun, a fun show, right? Having like, and now it's like, okay, there's some heavy themes here, which sort of takes it's yes, it has created must see TV, but it takes away from the sort of lightheartedness of like, hey, a bunch of waiters and bartenders just having fun at Sir, <laughs> whatever. Now it's like, okay, we have like real like biblical themes here like like what's happening so either way it just seems like a kind of a sad situation for every person like I could I could feel bad in some ways for Tom I could feel bad for Raquel in some ways I could feel bad for obviously Ariana but for Andy for having a spin that like I don't know it just feels like a a heavy situation yeah and I think you know when you think of VPR as fun a part of that fun was because these people were fucking up. Like it was because watching the chaos and watching things ensue. And I wouldn't be surprised if a part of the thinking around this affair 
either prior to it coming out or criticizing the level of response, which is in and of itself a nuanced uh, conversation to have potentially. Mm-hmm. The idea that like so many people have cheated on this show before. Why are Raquel and Tom, you know, receiving the kind of response that they're getting? I would assume that Susan, for example, and members of Raquel's family, whether seemingly knowing about the affair as we discovered during the finale, how much of that played a role? The idea of like, we may or may not like him, but if they were even thinking this way, they might not have been like, if and when this comes out, it won't be that bad because affairs have happened so many times prior on VPR. I mean, and in general, like on reality TV, I feel like cheating and infidelity is the number one theme of reality TV. We've seen it forever. We've seen it since the first ever reality show. We've seen it no matter what the genre is, there's always a cheating scandal. There's always infidelity. And the fact that like this has captured the world the way it has is so interesting to me. Like Mm -hmm. it's shocking. And for people that don't get it, they're just like, I don't understand what... And then like once they hear it sort of explained or maybe they'll read my piece or other pieces that have been written, they're like, okay, I kind of get it. Like the whole thing is extra lurid. But also, I mean, the fact that these two people have been together for nine years, I know they've had their ups and downs and that's been a storyline or like, but they have been together. I don't think, I don't think anyone, it's not like they were so volatile like James and Kristen, like they were, they had their ups and downs in terms of Ariana saying, you know, I don't have enough intimacy and he'll be like, I don't have enough sex. Like, but they've always seemed to kind of come back together and work through it. And I don't think anyone expected them to ever just break up. And if they did, maybe because they both fairly seemed cool headed, maybe they expect viewers expected them to break up on their own. So I think you throw this girl who I already think people had mixed feelings about in the mix. And I think that's why everybody was so shocked. Yeah. And I also think growth is a factor here. When people talk about why is this different from when Kristen, um, you know, hooked up with Jax or Mm -hmm. how is how is the response to Raquel okay when you consider things that Ariana has potentially said prior about Kristen in those early seasons? I think what we're forgetting here is that a decade has gone by the ways that even with Lala, the ways that cast members have potentially changed and grown and matured, become more accountable to themselves and their partners has been overwhelmingly huge. There is an obvious sign of people potentially being judged still by their past behaviors, but not necessarily being the people now that they were then. You can The proof is in the pudding. You can see it over the course of seasons and how people, some people have held themselves more consistently to account. And I look at Tom and I'm like, that's a part of this too. When you think about the ways that people are freaking out, it's because so many other cast members, including Ariana, have held themselves accountable or been held accountable for behaviors that they've worked on. And we don't see that here with Tom. He's behaving now exactly the way a person could have behaved then. I totally agree. And I'm just, I'm just in awe of like, like I can't imagine, I, I, I would love to see 
like Tom now, like in the past few months, like waking up, just like waking up in the morning, like, what are you feeling? Are you comfortable with this? Are you okay? Like I would be, I mean, maybe it's just like not to gender this, but like as a woman, like I would be, maybe Raquel is, I would be like a wreck, like to have the whole world paying attention to my behavior and knowing I didn't do the right thing. Like that's also why Ariana obviously is such a hero because she was the victim and she didn't, no one deserves it, but she really was like a cool headed, like great character on the show. But I feel like Tom's like, I I would just be so curious, like what he's feeling right now and whether he feels not remorse because that's not he didn't, he obviously didn't want to be with Ariana anymore. And I don't know that he has remorse for that, but like, I don't know. I just can't imagine the whole world hating, hating, hating me. <laughs> yeah. You know? I, I cannot imagine the stress and toll that takes on a person's body physically, and he emotionally. It. Like at the reunions, he seemed like jittery and like scary yeah. and he seemed really, really uncomfortable. Like, is there going to be some kind of snap? Like, does he need a break from the show? I don't know. Like, I, I just, I just am so curious about that because I feel, again, I don't sympathize with his actions at all, but I, as a, as a human being, I sympathize with that feeling of like, okay, everyone is basically like, you're everyone's punching bag. You wake up in the morning, your DMs must be flooded with like vitriol. No one's coming to you for sponsorships. None of your friends like you anymore. Like, what do you have? Maybe Raquel, no one knows, but like, what do you have now? It's just so interesting to see the ways that he has behaved, not only on that finale, uh, not only on that finale episode, but on the reunion, because at a certain point, Ariana has said this other cast members have as well he hasn't actually really apologized to Ariana there was the point at the end of the reunion after however many hours where he broke down but that for people who watched the um, Peacock um, extended version seemingly happened directly after Lisa Vanderpump had had a one-on-one with him in his dressing room and was like Mm -hmm. listen this isn't going great. We need to see some accountability here. You would think that a a part of this would be connected to shame for having done Ariana wrong. And yet his thinking, I feel like it's consistently been like, but everyone just doesn't understand that my needs weren't being met, mm-hmm. which to me... It, it, the way that he keeps directly connecting that with a sense of like, quote unquote, accountability and responsibility. I'm sorry, but or I'm sorry that our relationship wasn't giving me what I needed yeah. is to me super fucked up. And it also begs the question, you know, when he gets into that goddamn T-shirt jab because it wasn't sexy, it's like, well, sir. There was a goddamn film sit down with you and Ariana where she was asking if you could stay home once in a while because your love languages, you're saying you want to take shrooms and go skinny dipping. She's saying she wants to watch a TV show. She wants to watch Love Island and cook. You're not giving her what she needs. Why is the assumption and expectation always that her needs don't matter or should be mocked and you should always be taken care of? And what low stakes needs, like not low stakes, but like she's asking for the most reasonable right 
couple like, okay, instead of you going out to the bars all the time, let's stay home and cook and watch TV. Let's open our own bottle of wine. Like, let's have fun together. Like, I don't, why do you need to be at the bars? That's a very reasonable. It's not like she's asking him, like, take me on expensive vacations and buy me Chanel. Like, like some real, like some of these reality stars, like they impose these like ridiculous standards. Well, now I'm making money and I want material things. I feel like her asking to stay home, cook dinner and watch TV is like, it really indicates that he didn't, he didn't want to be there because otherwise what man wouldn't, if you love the person or care about nurturing their relationship, what man or woman or partner, if they're being asked that, what partner wouldn't sacrifice a couple nights out at the stupid bar to just stay home and like have fun with your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever it is. Like, I don't, the, the things she was asking for were so logical and so reasonable different if she was asking him to spend all his money and do these unrealistic things. But it seemed to me like she was asking for something that just felt completely duh, do it like, you know? Yeah. And it was such a disconnect and one that I felt like he was consistently trying to minimize or he just didn't understand, which is that for people, it doesn't have to be gendered, but it often is a woman can find herself like even sexually being stimulated or inspired by someone taking care of her. Like Mm -hmm. the idea of having a connection and being together is often as romantic as, I mean, I can't really say like taking shrooms, (laughs) like going, I can, yeah, like that could be romantic too. Like not to take away from that. Like, like, yeah, whatever your thing is. Right. But like, He's just thinking, I think, how stupid is it to Love Island? He's not understanding, like, honestly, if you're even talking about, I want to have sex with my partner more often, listen to what your partner wants. Like, he's only thinking about it as this is stupid and I want to go out and do other things. Well, listen to what your partner is saying she's interested in. She might not have responded to you at points in the ways that you're telling us she did, which A, could also be because she maybe has a sense that he's disconnecting from her. Like, even though she wasn't aware, there is sometimes an awareness and instinct that takes over, especially in long-term relationships. But also she's telling, she's saying out loud, I understand, I hear you, and this is what I need. And he just refused to listen. Yep. It's, it's, so ridiculous because it seems like such a simple thing like want to be more intimate with your partner listen to her that's it that's the formula that's it that's really that's what she was saying she wasn't asking for anything above that or more than that so you know you kind of have to wonder whether he really cared that much to begin with because if you don't put in effort especially when the partner is asking you to put in the effort it seems like okay Maybe their relationship was doomed. Maybe, I mean, I I mean, what I'm seeing now, I mean, I don't know her well. I mean, I just spent a couple hours with her, but like, she's probably going to be better off now. <laughs> That's the vibe I get. When I met her, she just looked like so, like at peace. Yeah. You know, she looked really good. She did not look like she wasn't sleeping. Her skin looked amazing. She, I don't know. Like, usually I feel like you would think, maybe it's cliche, but you would think, something like this happening to a woman, they would show up like sleep deprived and like puffy from crying, like maybe, and maybe she was, this has been, this has been a couple months after, but 
she just looked and I know looks aren't everything and makeup can do things and whatever but she just looked really good and happy and like healthy and I don't know and also sometimes you don't know that the the weight that you're carrying until it's been removed like I don't think that she was aware as she herself has said of the level of toxicity that may have been a part of let's say the latter the latter years of her relationship until she was no longer in it I agree I agree and also, you know, there has been a critique of her that I've seen online of she treated Raquel, <laughs> she was so mean to Raquel at the reunion and how dare she and like the level of upset and rage that she felt is inappropriate, which I I saw and, and heard from people, um, majority of whom are women, which I think is interesting, the ways that we decide that a woman's rage cannot be heard or understood um, Mm -hmm. or even consumed in the ways that we seem able to listen to a man, regardless of whether or not we agree. But I also have to say, in the ways that she seemed confident and um, free, let's say, in your conversations with her, there should also be an understanding that her time at the reunion was weeks after the news had come out and her I think very first interaction and I would assume only at this point in person with Raquel was the day of the reunion they had the text exchange she called her to just say if you have any respect for women or whatever tell me what was going on but that was it like they there was nothing else. So the idea for her not to be allowed to experience or share rage is interesting to me. And I think gendered within the community of women watching. What was what's your reaction to that kind of exchange, even between Bravoholics? I think people do, like you said, I think people forget that seeing watching those reunion shows, that was mere weeks after this happened. And I think because we've been maybe overloaded with this scandal a little bit in the past 90 something days now, (laughs) like I'm interested in it, but I know a lot of people are like, okay, it's enough, but I think it's easy to forget. And, and because these reunions air, you know, sort of way after, I think it's easy to forget how fresh it was. And I actually think Ariana was not mean at all in those reunions. I actually think she, she made like a few like snide comments. I don't think she was mean. I think she was, the hurt was fresh. I think she could have been a lot meaner. I think a lot of women, women would have been a lot snider and like comments. And she handled herself with complete dignity, I thought. And a few, you know, sort of jabs here and there. I don't think that's mean. I think that's warranted because she was still coming off this too. And I don't think that she was mean whatsoever. I think Tom was way worse. And listen, her, you know, using the C word and whatever, she was mad. I save it for a special occasion. I I use it. It's one of my favorite (laughs) words. I use it sparingly so that it lands. I use it sparingly, but I I will I will have a well placed C word occasionally. Amen. Right people. And yep, I have to know my audience. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it at work. I wouldn't but like Mm. I know my audience. I know my husband. I know my good friends. Like I know who I could say that to to get my point across. And they're like, whoa. Yeah. And if there's one thing that you can't take away from Ariana, and I hope most things are not aside from her relationship with Tom, because I think that we are seeing 
the strongest, most admirable qualities of her come out. Um, Oftentimes, trauma and stress breakups can reveal the worst aspects of a person, but they can also provide the opportunity to see the best. And while I wouldn't uh, want for this to happen to her, I am very much inspired by her reaction and forward movement and really, really, really loved your profile, which I highly encourage people read. I'm going to link to it in the show notes for this episode. Easy access. Okay, you guys, glamorous. (laughs) All the glamour in the world. Just in wrapping up, um, What's your takeaway having written this profile, having watched the episodes? What are you looking forward to seeing next season potentially and and writing about? Yeah, I mean, my takeaways are twofold. My first takeaway is about the show and I'm looking forward. I mean, I'm just looking forward to seeing what happens in terms of Ariane and Tom. Like, how are they going to coexist on the show? They're all cast members and we know that they all have to be thrown together. They're at parties, they're at whatever So I'm curious how, I'm very curious to see. She had mentioned the living situation. You know, sometimes when couples break up, they're still in the same house. I have friends that are divorced and getting divorced and they're in the same house. Like you figure that out. And that's not where I'm so curious. She said, I'm going to move. She's like, we have to sell our house and then I'm going to move. I'm more curious whether she moves or not, how they're going to coexist in the orbit of Vanderpump Rules. Like if they all have to go to Sheena's birthday, like, are they going to be on opposite ends? Like, I don't know. Are they going to, are they going to ever come back together and maybe not as a couple, but be civil? Can they, have, are they going to be able to say, Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Or not? Or are they going to be like, so I'm kind of curious to see that. And then the other takeaway I have is actually not so much about the show, but I will say I'm really proud of Glamour for putting Ariana on the cover and I would encourage, well, I wouldn't encourage other publications because I want them all for us, for Glamour, but I <laughs> largely, I would encourage, I think it's really cool for traditional media publications to maybe open the door a little bit into some celebrity and talent that aren't considered as traditional. So like movie stars, prestige television stars, you know, models or whatever, I think this is where the conversation is. I think this is the culture right now. And I mean, I I know from the response that the article's gotten, people really were interested in reading it. And they were really proud also. They were like, this is cool of Glamour. This was a cool thing that you guys did. I mean, yeah, it's prestige to get X name, you know, big movie star promoting their big project. But they're playing a character and you have to, in order to read that piece, you have to be really invested in that celebrity whereas like maybe you are maybe you're not but with ariana everyone's invested because it's what everyone's talking about it's in the zeitgeist so i i would just say the other takeaway was this little experiment of ours definitely was 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 great the outcome was great and so i hope that we could see this more because i think that these people deserve deserve the same level of press and the same level of discourse as a you know Top, top, top movie star. And you know what? There were many reasons why I read your piece start to end. And I so connected with your voice. And I just really highly encourage that everyone read it. I thought you did such a great job. And exactly as you said, when it comes to glamour, one of the parts here, I'm so glad that you just said that because it's so important is we often talk about Bravo as a guilty pleasure with the idea being that there should be a sense of guilt for 
um, finding value in these conversations, which that is the the mission statement of AG is normalize changing your mind based on new information and also understand and respect that you can find value from this and do not need to engage in any kind of feeling or behavior relating to guilt. And the fact that Glamour not only understands that, but also values the audience by platforming Ariana in that way. It is a sign that like, listen, we can talk about this being a part of the Bravo community as niche, but also this is important to people. This is something that a lot of people are talking about. And it is a show of faith, I think, to the Glamour audience and to the greater broader Bravo audience to say that this is important. We're all talking about this and we want to. So let's put it on the front. I think that's, you know, kadoos to, to you and to Glamour because I think that's um, that's really great. You know, mazel of the day to all of you. Thank you. Yeah, we agree. And the whole idea of guilty pleasures is just so sexist. It's something that at Glamour, we never we never use that phrase. And we always talk about how we'll never really call anything shopping. Like shopping's not a guilty pleasure. We all do it. We all watch shows. We all enjoy whatever. So the whole concept of guilty pleasures needs to be abolished completely, in my opinion. Amen. And speaking of shopping, I mean, I'm recording from the Clopas. You have to come back, Perry. You need to see the dresses. There are Manolos everywhere. You can't even see them. I feel like living and recording in a in a place of maybe an element of glamour is where you should be with me. I would like to come back anytime. Would love to have you. In the meantime, can you tell AGs where they can follow you on social? And again, guys, the article will be linked in the show notes for this app. Yes, please read the article. That would mean a lot to us. And I think if you like Vanderpump Rules, if you're listening to the podcast, you will obviously connect with the article. And then for me, um, the best place would be on Instagram at Perry Samatin. So that's P-E-R-R-I-E-S-A-M-O-T-I-N. All right, you guys, all of my thanks to Perry Samotin from Glamour for um, joining me on this episode of Andy's Girls. I hope you liked that conversation. And speaking of all things VPR and Scandaval, there are two parts to the Scandaval Satchel Spectacular. It's featuring well over 15 of your satchels, your thoughts and feels, questions and concerns about all things Scandaval that are up exclusively on the AG Patreon now. It's about in total, I want to say two and a half hours of content over those two episodes alone. And you can listen to those episodes by joining the Andy's Girls Patreon. $2 a month gets you my love and sass. $5 a month gets you two bonus episodes. And $10 a month gets you four. There's also a premium tier, the People's People's Couch, where you can record a Patreon episode with yours truly. Speaking of the Patreon, I've heard from a bunch of Patreon AGs that they would really like to hear the Scandaval Spritz, that live show I recorded with friend of the pod Dylan Hafer at Green Room 42. Oh my God, it was literally recorded the day after the finale. So you can only imagine what we had to say. Um, And so that's going to go up later this week exclusively on the AG Patreon. So if you weren't able to join us live in person here in New York City or live streaming, 
this is your opportunity because it's going to be exclusive on the AG page. So listen to that episode when it gets posted later on this week. And in the meantime, those Scandival Satchel Spectaculars are up now at patreon.com slash Girls. If you have any interest, and trust me, it's very much worth your time in seeing those videos that I took from the front row at this weekend's Las Culturistas Culture Awards, you can see them saved on my Instagram's highlights at Dame Galley and Lord knows a whole bunch of sass there as well. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Let me know your thoughts and feels on this episode. Really appreciate you guys. And I'm so excited to talk about the next episode coming up. I do also want to shout out those Patreon episodes because they also include an awful lot of New Jersey conversation. Conversation that I think is going to continue because many of us are still thinking about Oive part three of that wild AF reunion cycle. So if you have thoughts and feels about New Jersey, Atlanta, Orange County, which is a thing, and so much more, slide into my DMs on Instagram or send me a DM on Patreon and let me know. Include your first name and town, and that might be featured in an upcoming Patreon Satchel Spectacular. All right, guys, thanks so much. Talk soon. Bye-bye.